Small gestures have an incredible amount of power. For me, it goes one of two ways. If I get cut off by some jerk when I'm on my way to work, it might ruin my actual morning. But if someone writes a smiley face on my coffee cup, I'm all of a sudden back in the plus column. It's essential to remember that while these small gestures from others can affect you, your small gestures also affect others. In B2B SaaS, this concept reaches across all teams, but particularly with your customer-facing teams. With customer experience, it's absolutely crucial to empower the team to humanize your brand. Because at the end of the day, while we're all working towards company and personal goals, remember, you're dealing with people. A kind gesture on a support ticket or going the extra mile when receiving a review is going to pay back dividends. And I can think of few people better suited to take on this topic than Julie Hogan. Julie and I caught up a long time ago while she was the VP of customer experience over at Drift. Julie is currently the VP of customer success and strategy over at Toast, but her words rang true then and they resonate so much more now. She's got a ton of knowledge and wisdom to share in the CS and CX world and all that more coming up next. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Julie Hogan goes deep on customer experience and success. We talk about leveraging people skills, the framework of customer experience, going the extra mile, creating an effective triage system, and stagnate, upgrade, or die. After you finish the episode, make sure you check out the show notes for an in-depth field guide focused on what we all went over. Julie Hogan, I'm the VP of the customer team at Drift. Yeah, and you've been like service-oriented, HubSpot. Service, here. service. But you have a little bit of a different like wavelength with service. It's not just like answering support tickets. It's all about hospitality, which I thought was interesting. Thank you, totally, yeah. yeah. So it's, I joke sometimes when I was in school, they, they totally aligned me with the wrong counselor. You know, yeah. you go and you talk to yeah, somebody yeah, and they're yeah. like, tell me what you want to be when you grow up. Yeah. And, and the person immediately said, and don't tell me you're a people person. And I was like, that's what I was going to tell you. And it was funny because all through going to college, I thought that that was bad. Because oh, of wow. that interaction, I was like, oh, I can't. being a people person was it, Did you take a test or were they just like people, people they who are could bad? Sm- they could smell it on me. That oh, that's what I was going to say. It. Oh, got and, it. Got it. And so it was interesting because during during college, I had this idea that that was a bad thing from that oh, no. interaction. And I ended up ended up at Deloitte Consulting, customer facing. And I, I sort of realized when I was there, yeah. this is not a bad thing. This entire thing is technical as conversations are, as operational as they are, as strategic as they are, your day-to-day is engaging with people and building trust. And so I I started leaning into that more and realizing that this is what I enjoyed and it was what I was good at. I I liked building relationships with people. And so working at at Deloitte, I was customer-facing in human capital. Mm. But at at a company like that, it was wonderful. But you end up in a place where, like, your whole life is kind of drawn out for you in a a corporate setting. Here's the rung based on this year, and this is your job. At at year 3.5, you should be here. And a friend of mine had left to go to a startup. He was Mm. like, there's a startup. back." He was from Boston. He's like, back home in Boston. There are like 40 people at it. It's called HubSpot. The big old orange sprocket. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what does that mean? I don't know what any of this is, but it's all the things you're saying yeah. sound great. So I joined HubSpot in implementation and cool. worked in people facing roles yeah. the, my, the whole time I was there. And then Drift came in and, and DC asked me, you know, can you build the customer team, yeah. um, both customer success and eventually support? 
And I thought, if I'm going to do this again, there's only one other place in the world I would do it, and it's here. That's awesome. Let's not understate this. You were in the trench for like eight years at HubSpot, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like you were like, like implementation yeah. was like the first like name of it, which is very technical. And then it grew into like the brand. And what I'm curious about HubSpot brand, Drift mm-hmm. brand, mm-hmm. different stages, sure. one catching up to the other, sure. you know, slowly but surely or sure. quickly, I should say. How do you imbue that brand into the service element? Yeah. Because when you're when you're going after like a support ticket or even just any interaction with customers, there's the functional, mm-hmm. hey, I need this, you need mm-hmm. to pay me or fix this problem. And then there's like that little bit extra, which is, hey, let's make this a good interaction. Right. Like how do you approach that? Like what's your framework for yeah, it? Yeah. So I, I think if you had asked me this question 10 years ago or more when I was still in sort of like corporate consulting, yeah. it would be about following the rules and doing it the right way. And I think for both companies I've been at, what's been really cool is it's a shift from that, like following a very specific workbook to, or playbook rather, to treat these customers the way they want to be treated and meet them where they're at. And also you and I had this conversation earlier today, solve their problem and be helpful. Yeah. And I think another thing that you often don't are sort of like trained out of talking about in, in job interviews and things is, you know, any job you've had outside of something that seems very professional. So sure. I grew up waitressing, bartending, doing all sorts of jobs yeah. that were people facing. You're a people person. Fa- so, right. Yeah, the yeah, people yeah. person part of me. Um, yeah. I also had to make money. I had sure, to, sure, I had to sure. pay for school and, and other things. And I, I talked about this on Seeking Wisdom a long time ago, but I think in those roles, you develop something. I call it the services third eye, where if you're responsible for a room of people, yeah. so whether it's tables you have to, to clear or wait on, if it's a wedding that you are catering, if it's a bar and you're sort of keeping an eye on how everybody is, you just learn this 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 idea of making sure people are getting what they need. And I, I now look for that in people I hire. Interesting. So, Sure, that's great. You have this wonderful technical background. Have you ever been responsible for the care of someone else? Oh, and if, if somebody says no, they usually aren't a great fit. Maybe they're super technical and they have the technical chops, but yeah. do they do they know what it's like to have to be responsible for problem solving for someone or getting sure. somebody what they need? And so, you know, thinking going back to your original question of brands, it's being a real person. That yeah. adrift, we talk a lot about that. It's not making sure I hit all the the elements of a script that I must read, and by virtue of checking off those boxes, yeah. I've done a great job. It's did I did I give this person an experience in the sense that they really feel like that brand that we talk about being human, being personable, did that come to life for them in the interaction they had? And as we continue to build out our teams, we look very carefully at the people we hire to to ensure that they embody that and they have. They bring some of those services third eye qualities to yeah. the table. Like if we talk about hiring for a second, sure. because I know that that third eye, so asking someone like, have you ever cared for someone? The implication being you've had to kind of anticipate needs yes. and like things like that. Yes. You've also kind of taken it, or maybe let's talk about the other steps you've taken a step further. Like you're hiring people with actual hospitality backgrounds. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other things you're doing that kind of suss out? Like, oh, you worked at Starbucks. That's great. Yeah. But like, how do we like... How do we maybe ask me those questions on like, oh, am I a good fit for the care yes. element of this? Yeah, I care. I care less about the thing that's on the resume and more about how you talk about it. Got it. If you let's say Starbucks is a great yeah. example. Let's say you did that. I did work at Starbucks for very five cool. Years. Very so, cool. Yeah, there yeah. you go. You know, if you talk to me about that experience sure. and you're like, oh, I did it. 
man, those people are a pain. And it was so much work. You can't help in a, yeah. in a person-to-person like, interview. This is not going to help. Hide that on your face. <laughs> yeah, Maybe you yeah. can if you're an amazing interviewer, but sure. you see people light up in a way when they talk yeah. about, and, and not all of it is, is glamorous, right? Sure, like working sure. working and serving other people is hard. Yeah. You're on your feet, especially yeah. in, in those in those types of contexts. But you can tell when people are passionate about talking about helping other people. So that's one piece. The other, we we heavily leverage predictive index. Have you used that before? Yeah, they're customer bars. Okay, yeah, very yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. Very cool. And I'll share, I was very skeptical of that when I first yeah. joined Drift. It's, like, it's a little like hmm, right. algorithms. And, I, and yeah. I very much was like, no way, because if we're if we're in a place where we want to be as inclusive as possible, what I don't want to do is say, well, this person is a this, yeah. and therefore they're not the right fit. Yeah. What it's done, however, is it gives you a gauge to understand, okay, for somebody who is equally passionate and then also in their predictive index, it, it tells you that they care about being helpful. They have a quality related to caring about the needs of others. You know what those things are. And so it's another, it's another gauge you can use. So I use that as well. Yeah. What is, what is the presentation of person yeah. like in the interview? And then does that help also as a gauge? Interesting. Um, so I, I use those two tools for sure. And also just like hustle. We talk about hustle. Have you had a real job? And I, and I what I mean by that is yeah. like you've worked with the general public. You've done yeah. something probably not glamorous. You've worked yeah. crappy hours. Totally. You've had to roll up your sleeves and do that. And I do think you know, whether you enjoyed it or not, yeah. whether you were passionate or not, you had to do it. And I care about that too. Like if you worked summers, if you did things... Um, beyond unpaid internships, yeah. uh, those those things are important. But I think having some some real world experience and jobs outside of a building teach you a lot about life and yeah. people, and and those people are really great at the front lines totally. of, of experience. Well, because they're also like a lot of this is extra mile, right? Totally. There's a lot of like, hey, yeah, I answered the question, but like you need that person to have that third eye, which I really liked. And then also that extra mile mindset. We call that, or I call that like the hardship quotient, like testing for that, where it's like how much hardship. And there's some people who have gone through like real hardship. And then there's other people who are like, yeah, hey, I had to work a summer making rocks or like doing whatever, you know what I mean? Building fences. Yeah, Yeah. totally, which is helpful. But let's assume, okay, so hiring the right people, huge. Now we have a a support and customer success team Mm -hmm. or separate teams. Mm What are the functional things now? Like, how do we ensure that when I have a messaging through uh, Drift yeah. or you're answering an email, like whatever is going, how do you ensure that there's consistently just killer customer support yeah. or killer customer success going yeah. on? So I'll say it's evolving. At Drift, if like you're a Drift customer, you are. Yeah. Um, but if you know, you're a Drift customer, customer one, who's listening, actually. Yeah. my apologies. We didn't have yeah. any of the stuff in place when you started. No, it's okay. It's terrible. No, it's fine. Um, but... You know, if you're a customer and you're listening, one of the things that was part of our our narrative and part of what we did at the beginning was everybody at Drift did support, which sure. I think was a really cool narrative. It's like, oh, everybody does it. It's a yeah. great way to learn. But it's kind of a shit customer experience because if yeah. everybody owns it, then nobody really owns yeah. it. And Elias, so, you're terrible. Yeah, support. Elias, no, love I'm you, just but no, no, he was really good. Um, just kidding. Yeah, but yeah. the idea, the idea too, is we want to create standards, mm-hmm. um, and so that's what we're in the middle of doing. And one of the things uh, I shared this with you earlier, but one of the things. When we talk about hiring, when David and I were talking about building this team and I shared with him, hey, I'm going to kill this. Everybody in the company does support because I want this to be a first class function at Drift. Oh, I like that. I also want it to be a first class five star function. And he had this idea. It was sort of crazy talking a one on one. 
he said, what if we made the manager of this somebody who had front of the house experience? So think about somebody who does front of the house. And I literally, from that conversation, was on a mission. I'm like, I, this person exists in Boston. They have yeah. to, and I will find them. That's cool. And so I started doing searches for people who had graduated from the Cornell School of Hospitality, like probably yeah. one of the premier hospitality schools. 100%, yeah. And then sniffing around for people at really well-known brand name hotels. And we landed on Tory. Cornell grad from hospitality, nine years of hospitality experience, and then the manager of the Four Seasons Hotel, who also by small hotel, you yeah. know, just you know, no big deal. Yeah. Who also implemented chat for guest services oh, in damn. Boston. So I was like, "Where did you come from? You That's, fell out of the sky." I don't even believe this person exists. And when like, she came in to interview, it was one of those things where I kind of wanted to, to see how it went. And when she started talking about the brand she admired, the way she held her team accountable to not just execution, sure. right? So, you know, we think about technology and the cadence of or order of operations and support. There is a lot of structure that goes into place. It's not that much different from running a hotel yeah. where there are things that have to be met by certain deadlines and triage requests that go through and escalations. And so... Her capacity to not only understand that, but bring the human and guest yeah. element to it, blown away by it. And when I talked earlier about the tell, yeah. she was lighting up like a Christmas tree when she talked about this. She was passionate about it. She was interested in it. And so from a measurement standpoint, what we're in the process of doing, uh, the Four Seasons has something called the Forbes Standards. And it's literally like hundreds of pages of stuff mm -hmm. that as somebody at the front lines of the guest experience you should be executing against in each interaction. And so we're developing the drift version of that mm -hmm. so that in addition to execution of the tactical things, so how well do you triage bugs? How well do you problem solve? Mm -hmm. um, how well do you partner with our peers in product to come to resolution and bring a good response to customers? All those things are important to the operation. And then how do we balance that against the standards evaluation that we'll put into place? And so we're developing eight core standards that will evaluate your chats against. And we'll see how frequently on a rubric you're, you're hitting those. And so maybe with 100% consistency, you're hitting one of them, but another you only hit 50% of the time. Let's dig into that and see why. So you mentioned like triaging bugs. Mm -hmm. Is there... Is there like a, you know, Starbucks, they call this creating the five-star experience, right? Yeah. And that, that meant um, putting the smiley face on the cup yeah. in addition to the name or like, you know, giving like, oh, thanks, hey, asking how the previous conversation topic yeah. was. Like, is it stuff like that? It like is. there's going to be, and, it, and some of it is measurable, mm -hmm. like, like response time and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And others of it, it's a little bit more, we kind of know it when we see it. Exactly. Kind of it's, it's on that end, the know it when we see it, but we'll, we'll watch for it. Yeah. Do you use the person's first name? Do you reference, um, at, at the Four Seasons, there's something we've learned through Tori, which is called Show Me, You Know Me. And they've done studies to show if you recognize, like, hey, welcome back. I know I talked to you a couple weeks ago, yeah. or I know you were just back in after having X, Y, or Z question last week. Sure. Showing that small extra step of personalizing the conversation makes it feel a bit more familiar to the customer. So mm -hmm. trying to leverage that and measuring how frequently you're taking that extra That's step really cool. to do it. There's another component that we're calling the while we have you. So not simply cranking through tickets. So you yeah. get off, you know, or, or you sort of show on the list as having executed the most tickets because yeah. your customers don't give a shit how many tickets they you, don't, they have no they idea. don't care. They, yeah. they want urgency and they want accuracy and they also want a personalized experience from you. And so, 
using that as a next step to make sure you're not simply closing the ticket, asking, while I have you, what else can I do for you? While I have you, I took a quick moment, I looked at your playbook and I recognized X, Y, or Z could be optimized better. I went ahead and did that for you. And not doing it in a creepy way. Yeah. Like you've had service before, I'm sure, which is like, sure. this is a little over the top and yeah. inauthentic and strange. Actually, I love all this stuff. Like I'm like, yeah, no, do it. Do, do it, it all. Yeah, do yeah, it that's all great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, those are the things that often people will tell you aren't scalable yeah. or like, I don't have enough time or say that it's fluff and it doesn't yeah. matter. And the reality is customers leave often not because of one big thing. Sometimes sure. it is, but usually it's death by a thousand cuts. A thousand little things happened yeah. and they left because of that. Imagine we are more proactive and more thoughtful about a thousand really positive things that can happen yeah. and use that not, not as our, our catch or the way we're going to keep customers, but a way we're going to be true to our brand and really give customers yeah. the experience they need in addition to measuring the hell out of every other thing that matters related to the value they get, the efficiency of our processes, and the other the other instruments we use to make sure that the business is running effectively. We need to be able to do both. So if I had to summarize, basically, or if I had to kind of take this one step further, you're developing this this Forbes guide, Drift Guide, mm-hmm. you know, for um, eight principles? Eight, or yes, we're calling sort of working title is um, principles. I also like the idea of calling them instead of key performance indicators, key experience indicators. So KEIs for our customer experience. That's cool. I like that. So you have these eight KEIs and then it's basically like hardcore training Mm -hmm. and then monitoring. Is that kind of the concept? Exactly. You got it. And then take a step back. You might not be here yet, but is there the functional like, okay, cool. We keep noticing that our five reps, this, this KEI isn't being met it doesn't feel like it's a training issue. It's this bug or this something. Yeah. Like how is that relationship with the rest of the company yeah. or even with basically figuring out scalable things, yes. right? Or is there no scalable thing? Yeah. Meaning like, hey, we're not going to automate any of this because it's going to take away from the other KEIs. Right. So the way the way we're set up and we're actually, this is perfect timing for this question because yeah. we just moved into our new office. Looks great, we, by the way, thank on you. Instagram. Thank yeah. you very much. We're excited by it. So much room for activities. <laughs> so much more. Yeah. The other um, office, it was like a sweat we were, It was, it was, getting, getting, a it was getting a little sweaty. Yeah, it was getting yeah. a little sweaty in there. What, what we're doing now, because we have more space, is instead of being a team, like a customer team sitting in one pod in one part of the company, a distributed team. So the customer support team, we call them customer advocates, they sit across all of products and customer success sits across all of sales. And, and that way it's not, you know, often you hear people talk about success and customer success not being the responsibility of the customer success team only, sure. but shared across the whole company, that's really hard to do when you don't sit with the rest of the company or interact. And so we want the behaviors that that we want to drive be reflected in the way we operate every single day. Got it. Alignment isn't just an alignment meeting. Alignment should be what you yeah. do every single day because that's how your office setting and are is, you seeing, is working. Are you seeing like we're sitting across like let's say I'm an engineer, product yeah. person, and you're like a support person. Are you seeing those interactions yeah. happen? Well, it's been since Monday. So oh, okay, cool. So we're, 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 <laughs> we're betting, right? Yeah, we're okay. betting. We're making a bet. We're yeah, making a bet. Yeah, yeah. I will say we started this a little bit earlier in support and a couple of cool things came out of it. One is with, with the, even the name, being a customer advocate as opposed to a customer support agent, sure. your job, the goal is, and, and this really came, stemmed from Craig, who's our VP of product. Mm. His idea was he didn't want people who were representing customers at the front lines. He didn't want their job to simply stop at, I put it in 
and triage and it's done yeah. and vice versa. We don't want the, the product team's job to stop at, I shipped it, it's done. Yeah. We need those, those teams to intersect without adding an additional layer of bureaucracy. And, and that's usually what happens. Like we have this one person who- This is the champion is the for all, exactly, yeah. for all teams. And you must be the bug police. And, and you gotta go to the product meeting, exactly. no one else is there. Exactly. And they it's don't a, like you and it's it, terrible. Exactly, and yeah. it turns bureaucratic and, and kind of gross. And so our, our goal of this is that by having advocates aligned to each pod, they then become the experts of that part of the product. And we do a couple of things. One is at the end of the week, we'll summarize borrowed from Slack. Uh, Slack does something called triage captains. So people rotate on managing triage and then sharing the core themes of bugs and escalations with different customer advocates. Advocates will then take those and summarize with their teams at the end of the week and say, hey, here are the core themes I saw. And then partner to hold the product managers accountable okay. for knocking out those bugs and triage That's issues. Cool. Um, the other thing we do, we call it the customer three. So there's always an ongoing list of three. We just picked three. Yeah. Three things that are, are the front lines of customer asks that we bring both from customer advocates and customer success. Mm. And we keep it in the new office. We have to set it up. Um, but in our old office, we had a, a chalkboard. It was a fluid list. We had a Slack channel for them as well. And as soon as one of them got checked off, we'd celebrate it. We would take whoever the developer was or the engineer who was able to check that off. We put the customer hero cape around their neck. Yeah. We'd play the Jay-Z song on to the next one. I love because it. Because as yeah. soon as we celebrated it, it was time yeah. to put a new one up. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so those, those are some of the things. One other thing I'll add to it. Are you familiar with the Andon cord? Have you heard the Andon cord analogy? No. So this is borrowed from Toyota and then also from Amazon where... If there is a major bug or major interruption, in most SaaS companies, there's this hierarchy of red tape escalation stuff that has to happen. So I must ask permission, see from this person if it's a real bug or not. Well, in the meantime, things detrimental to companies could be happening. So at the front lines of car assembly and on the conveyor belts at Amazon, if you're a worker, sleeves rolled up, hands in the job, and you see something that's really broken, you pull the end on cord and it stops the whole operation. It's like the button. Yeah. You got it. The, yeah, yeah, the yeah. like stop everything, stop the presses button. Yeah. So we've instituted that as well. So anyone in the company who's customer facing in front lines, yeah. if you see something that truly is SOS, yeah. you don't have to go to our head of product or to Elias or to yeah. me. You just do it. You yeah. pull it. Our version of pulling the cord is in Slack. Yeah. So you go in, you say pulling the end on cord and we stop mm-hmm. doing everything yeah. and we, we rally around it. We figure it out. I think that's been really important from an alignment standpoint because it gives the power to the individuals who are talking to customers and therefore gives the customers the power as opposed to it being something that relies on our own internal operations. So like common criticism, I'm sure, is like, well, like that person might not be good at understanding what is a cord situation and what is a filtered bureaucratic situation. Like, yeah. how do you, how do you manage that? Cause I'm sure there's been a couple of false positives of or someone got of a little course. trigger happy. Our and... feedback is too bad. We're learning. Uh, we would rather. To the product team. To, I'm sure, to everyone. To everyone. To everyone okay. Right. And the reason it's that blunt is because that's the reality. You know, teams are afraid of all those things you just said. Sure. Well, what if, what if it's what a if, false what alarm? If. And you know what? Yeah. Sometimes it will be. Yeah. And we'll learn from it. And if you don't learn from it and you don't educate people, Hey, here's how to look yeah. at it a different way. What ends up happening is you have people who get stuck in process and you don't learn 
the or teach the yeah. the real the real way to go about and problem solve. You and totally. I have talked about problem solving. I think that's where it gets hindered sometimes is we want to put order of operations in front of everything as opposed to giving people the trust and the freedom to, totally. to make those calls. And and the reality too is you're, we're going to have a few false alarms. What is the worst thing that's going to happen? A few people get annoyed. 30 minutes. Somebody cries yeah. wolf. It's 30 minutes. Yeah. It's on us to control it sucks, chaos. But it's fine. Yeah, yeah, control chaos and teach people. Well, it's a good framework as well. One thing I kind of want to jump back to is, is the triaging. Yes. I don't know if that's a, that's in the ether as much as it probably is. Can you go through that a little bit further? Like yeah. how you guys structure that? Like you have a bug, you put yep. it into these groups, you have these triage captains. Like let's, yeah. let's walk through that a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. So um, the goal of a customer advocate is 95% of your day is frontline, what we call chat duty. So we engage 100% in support through chat because um, yep. that's what our customers want to do. They want yeah, yeah. to have conversations with us. If that individual cannot recreate a bug or an issue that's being reported, they will put it into triage. It. We have a member of the customer advocate team. We're playing around a time frame. It, it is likely going to be like every two weeks. They are the triage captain, meaning they're responsible for then managing the bugs that get escalated, and they become the first line of defense. And these are the bugs that have not been replicated. Correct. Okay. So if you can't replicate and move on sure. uh, for the customer, it goes into triage. So meaning like the customer probably saw it, we can't replicate it. You got it. Someone kind of ha might have to look into this. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Got it. And so first line of defense, um, sort of similar to triage in a hospital, like yeah. I'm going to go in and see if I can figure this out. Yeah. And if not, it then is created as a ticket. So then okay. it will go to our product manager and they will work with engineers and developers to do what they need to do. And the goal then is that the triage individual keeps tabs on both fronts. So everything coming in and everything coming out to make sure at the end of the day, do we have a summary of what's left outstanding? Yep. Do we have a summary of the customer responses? Do customers know where their issues are? Have they been responded to? And if anything is still pending or still in escalation, they're aware of that. And so at the end of each day, we get a summary out to the product teams of where things stand. And then end of week, it's a summary of the themes. So, hey, I was the triage captain this week. We have our product teams are, are organized by crew. So the convo crew or the automation squad, here are the conversations that were escalated. Here are the themes I see. And here are the recommendations I'm going to make as a result of that. And again, gives the power to the people at the front line of the customer experience yeah. to make some of those recommendations uh, and innovations in the products. And if, if it's something where it can be replicated, does that go right to a ticket then? If it can be replicated and they can solve it, it'll go right back to the customer. So okay. that triage captain will respond to the customer directly. Yeah. If it can be replicated, but we're still unclear yeah. or we're worried that it could be sort of affecting or impacting other parts of the org, will then still create a ticket so that it can be looked into. Cool. So and then the top three things on the mm -hmm. chalkboard, those were from the triage? Those are typically anecdotal. So you've got the process of triage, yeah. and then you've got the trends that people at the front line see. So a good example of this, we have CSMs who yeah, now yeah, work yeah. our non-US hours. Okay. So they'll be up you know, four in the morning yeah, US time to support, support our team in the absence of having people on the ground. And so they may say, hey, Putting this on your radar, I was on the phone with four customers in Finland, just yeah. making that up because we're here right now. Yeah, yeah. Four customers yeah, in Finland, yeah, yeah. and they were seeing this related to, I'm making this up, a lag 
during this time frame, I wonder if something happened, yeah. putting it on your radar. If we see that as a, as a constant theme or trend, that it's isn't a bug, it yeah. isn't a bug, but it's an annoyance. Again, to, kind of a bad example. Sure. That could become a customer three. Got so it's, it. Got um, it. it's trying to voice things that we think those are will make a difference. Aren't necessarily bugs because mm -hmm. it's not broken, but it's annoying and it's and blocking they're also a not, customer. They're yeah. also not sexy, right? Yeah. Like, let's call it what it is. Yeah. They're not like the sexiest, hey, we're going to have a marketable moment about this thing we yeah. fix. We fix latency at 3 right, a.m. Right, yeah. or we fix, you know, there, there are a bunch of better examples I could probably sure, share. Sure, sure, sure. But, you know, they're the, back to the little things, the yeah. things where people engage with our product in such an intimate way, we want to understand the stuff that trips them up and bugs yeah. them. Yeah. And over time, get incrementally better at not only showing our awareness for understanding sure. what those are and how it impacts their experience, but showing that we care yeah. and that we're committed to continuing to chip away totally. at those. And they'll always exist. Like the totally. product products will never be perfect. Yeah. Our customer, I mean, yeah. one day, yeah. if so, you know, that'd be amazing. But you know, our processes for supporting customers will never be perfect either. Totally. Constantly evolving, constantly reflecting as much as we can, the needs that we see from, from the market and also from what customers tell us they don't like. Sure. I always joke, as soon as you build a structure around something, you're really proud of it. As soon as you're going to put a bow on it, you have to unwrap it and start all over again because it's probably old at that point. Great. So we have customer advocacy, yep. support, yep. we'll say. Yep. Customer success. Yes. Right? What do you so want to know? what's the, like everything, what's the difference? Yeah. Like, because yeah. I know your customer success, at least right now, because you're getting the foundation, not a quota carrying crew quite yet. KPI yeah. crew, meaning yeah. like you have like metrics that you're going after. What do you see as the difference? Yeah. Like is one just, or I'll let you answer. Yeah. 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 So the, the way I see it is when you buy Drift, I always think of answering these questions as sort of like through the lens of a customer. When you buy Drift, you have a single point of contact who's responsible for ensuring you get the value, the intended value from the product in terms of going through a successful implementation and then continuing to have a single point of contact who can support you ongoing with a cadence that's pretty regular. Yeah. So you've got that, that ongoing relationship and then anything that happens on the fly where you're unable or really don't need to schedule a phone call yeah. to talk to somebody about it, you have a support team who's yeah. available 24-7. Yeah. Um, now we have 24-7 support Monday through Friday. 24-7 to answer quick questions. Yeah. And the goal is is your time. Not feeling like you must only call this one person, but support is there truly to do that. And so I feel like the best way to describe this is to tell you the story of like, when I arrived and where we are now. I started in October and we had under a thousand customers and we had five CSMs and they managed everyone. So we divided customers across everyone. You guys so, have a lot of customers. We lot, so. Yeah, we have a lot of customers. <laughs> and so you could be, as a CSM, you could be yeah. on the phone with you know, a rather large enterprise company sitting yeah. somewhere in the world. And then an hour later, be on a phone call with a very small business with one employee sitting in the middle, middle yeah. of somewhere else. And what we realized as we were looking at results is that not just churn results, but just the results of the team and, and how they were using their time it's a lot of thrashing to, to go from a conversation with a very small business to a massive enterprise discussion. Just so different, different. Like it's like, it's you, if you just think of it like in context of sales, yes. the decks are going to be way different. Yes. Like that you're yes. going to go after them. The expectations them, are no different. Decks. Yeah. For sure. And the businesses are often in very different stages. When I, when you think about an enterprise engagement, there is like the stuff we were talking about earlier, whether you like it or not, there's bureaucracy, there's process, compliance, there's systems, there's forms. compliance. Exactly. 
So, you know, our edict of being like, let's move fast, let's go, let's get you live in, you know, X number of days. Hold on. I have a bunch of things to fill out. Exactly. Right. And it's, it's the reality. And can we push and, and sort of drive our, you know, drive urgency that's appropriate with that? Of course. Then on the other hand, you have another business where you're working with a founder who is really strapped for time. And at the same time, they're trying to grow their business and asking you specific questions about things they listen to on Seeking Wisdom. And, you know, could you also, while you're on the phone with me, give me some feedback on my pricing and packaging strategy? So very different. So we made the call as we were exiting 2017 to start leaning into segmentation. So that was one big piece. We also um, more than doubled the team. So we uh, will exit this quarter with 18 CSMs segmented across small business, enterprise, strategic, and then supporting, even though we are only based in the U.S., East Coast and West Coast, we have customers all over the world. And, you know, my background, I spent five years at HubSpot, sort of straddling time zones. Um, Traveling everywhere. Traveling everywhere. But, (laughs) you know, ahead of having offices places, you have to demonstrate commitment to to country. So we have, um, we'll be getting our second CSM ramped up on EMEA time zones and supporting those time zones. And our first APAC uh, CSM sitting, uh, you know, supporting West Coast, but also taking on our APAC customers. So that's been one big transition for us, ensuring that we're meeting our customers where they're at when it comes to um, sort of like their localization and global needs in addition to what kind of business they are and how that changes your engagement with them. So churn's the goal, right? Like mm-hmm. preventing churn, right? And yeah. now it's gross churn. So yeah. it's like a little bit more defense, yeah. right? I'll, I'll caveat that. Yeah. I'll caveat that. And the reason I am is if we only think like a goalie in, in preventing. Yeah, totally. So the idea you is... You got to score goals too. Yeah, exactly. Totally and yeah, and yeah, the other yeah. one big piece too is we don't segment implementation from ongoing engagement. So we don't have an implementation got team it. separate. And the it's reason the why is you could quite literally go live with drifts the same day. It's one button in HubSpot if you're using HubSpot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so ideally, like, we don't want to unintentionally overcomplicate. And I think yeah. that started to happen in SaaS where it's like, if you look at any customer life cycle, it drives me bananas because it's never a cycle. It's this line into like infinity. people. Oh my God, you have nine people. And, you know, it, it goes into this place where you stagnate, you die, or you upgrade. And if we really want to make this a true customer life cycle, it starts with the human interaction of you're going to have one person yeah. will work you through your first cycle of drift, meaning we get you set up, we get you to see initial results. And then once, once you're really over that hump of onboarding and your initial implementation, you'll remain with that same person to go through these cycles on a consistent basis to review results and recommendations to continue propelling you in that cycle. A huge shout out to Julie for doing the podcast. Now you have what it takes to master customer experience and success. Today, we talked about leveraging people skills, the framework of customer experience, going the extra mile, creating an effective triage system and stagnant upgrade or die. Oh, and if you want to support Paddle in the show, we would greatly appreciate it if you left a five star review of the podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. The podcast gods tend to like that sort of thing, and we like to appease the podcast gods. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscription. 